Welcome back to the 2R1 podcast, where we study the Bible together as a married couple. I'm Taylor. And I'm Elisa. And we're glad you're back with us. Last time we were together, we went to Uganda. Mm -hmm. Elisa told us about our trip. We spoke with a good friend of ours, Tony and Boa from Uganda. He told us an amazing testimony. Please go back and listen to that one if you have not. His testimony is powerful. Today we'll be back in Mark chapter 3, and the title is One or the Other. One or the other. It's either a zero or a one. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Hmm. All right, it's been a couple weeks, but... um, we almost took this week off, too, because school starts for us. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow and is the first day. First day so back. we're recording this on a Tuesday. Yeah, whenever school it posts, yeah. we're recording it on a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a busy week, and we're glad we were able to come and do a podcast today. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be back in Mark chapter 3. We're just going to deal with the first six verses of that chapter, mm-hmm. uh, and then come back and see what the Lord has to say. You want to read it for us? <laughs> All right. Uh, Mark 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Mm. Yeah. All right, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for just the opportunity to dig into your word, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're always here to teach us and guide us, Lord. We pray that no matter where we're at in life, Lord, you'll take us to that next deeper level with you. Show us things that we haven't seen before. Reveal to us your ways. Give us your holy vision. And Lord, we ask that anybody who is hearing this word from you, Lord, we just ask that you bless them and use it to to produce fruit in their lives. We thank you again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you remember, not the last time we were together, which was Uganda, but the time before that, we were talking a lot about the Sabbath. And that kind of continues into this chapter. And it really kind of drudges up all of that same conversation about the Sabbath. So I would... They're stuck on it. You know, they're like, that's the one thing. And, Mm -hmm. And Jesus is trying to make a point here and they just refuse. Yep. We talk about in the last podcast that we discussed it, um, that very fact mm-hmm. that this is basically one of two main reasons why Jesus is, is executed, mm-hmm. um, is this issue of the Sabbath. Uh, so if I would encourage everybody, if you didn't listen to two episodes ago, we deal with that a lot in that episode, and it, it may be beneficial to go back and listen to that so that this one actually kind of pairs with it and makes sense. 
So if you didn't listen to that, I encourage you to listen to that episode about the Sabbath. And then last week, or the last time we were together, which was Uganda, again, super powerful testimony from Tony about his father being taken from him for the sake of the gospel at a very young age. And um, uh, that's just two very good podcasts. We encourage you to go back and listen. So the very first thing that struck me with this with these scriptures, in, in your translation, the ESV, Elisa, it says, again. Mm-hmm. And mine says, <clears throat> Jesus again went again into a synagogue. So when you think about everything that he went through, the last time he was in a synagogue and the crap hit the fan and they were freaking out about the, the uh, Sabbath issue, I wouldn't have wanted to go back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I would have been... I'd have been like, my, my ministry's going fine, you know, in homes. You know, my ministry's going fine, um, preaching to people on the street and people coming to me. And Jesus, knowing all things, knowing the, be- the end as well as the beginning, knowing these people were going to do exactly what's about to happen in these verses, yet he chose to go and put himself in that situation again. And at the end of this scripture, in verse 6, it says, after this incident is when they decided to kill him. Mm-hmm. So by Jesus agreeing with the Father to go into this uncomfortable situation that we know he didn't want to go into because later on in the garden, he prayed, let this cup pass for me, knowing this was going to be... Um, the straw that breaks the camel's back, on their decision to pursue Jesus to kill him, I wouldn't want to go to the temple or the synagogue, you know? Mm-hmm. But Jesus went again. He went anyway, even though he knew what was going to happen, even though he knew they were going to be looking to catch him, even though he knew that they were going to decide with the Herodians to put him to death. He went mm-hmm. anyway. Because he cared about the will of the Father more than he cared about his own desires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know... If you want to bring this to a personal level, you know, everybody's probably had a situation in a church or in their church, if you're a believer and if you attend a local body of fellowship, where you've been offended. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly church has never saved anyone. And it's not even, I would argue, it's not even a biblical requirement to get to heaven. But being offended by a brother or sister or even someone outside the faith inside of a local body of fellowship the, is not should not be reason to keep us from going back. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't. Um, we're not there for other people mm-hmm. primarily. Now, we are there to for our yes. gifts to work for them and them to work for ours and, and for fellowship, but we're there to worship God as a body and to operate as a body. And even though we get offended, we should not let that keep us from going back to worship. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, church as we know it is not required, maybe biblically, mm-hmm. but it has a different connotation. We are required to fellowship with brothers and sisters and to edify the body because there's no way that the world will know that Jesus sent us mm-hmm. if we're not working together as a united body. So maybe the church of what it's grown to in the American culture today is not necessarily required. But at some point, it is not healthy not to have a group right. for your own spiritual walk, 
for the the sake of the body. You know, right. like I said, it's it is. But if you remember the statement that I made was it's not a requirement to go to heaven. Oh yes. Um, you look at the thief on the cross. There were two. Right, right, right. One. One repented on the cross, and Jesus said, Surely this day you will be with me in paradise. That guy never set foot in the church, mm-hmm. um, and he went to heaven. So mm-hmm. not saying that that's how our marker and our plumb line we should measure ourselves by, but it's not a requirement to go to heaven, but it is necessary yes. for so many other reasons, yes. for our personal mm-hmm. growth, for growth, for our personal accountability, um, to please God by serving other people in the body, using our gifts together, and many other reasons. Yeah. And I think a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, good, yeah, I don't, you know, yeah. it's not a requirement. All I care about is getting in. But when you when you get that salvation, you know, that thief on the cross, mm-hmm. he's probably thinking, man, why I wish, didn't I do yeah. this sooner? I wasted so much time, you know. We have to change our perspective on that because there was a time when I was just like, Lord, I wish you'd just let me know the moment before so I can get right, you mm-hmm. know, and... And well, that, now I realize I, I would have, I mean, I didn't get right soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if I, as a Christian person, have that mindset that um, I just want to get in, I'm probably not saved. Right. I mean, that's a harsh thing to say, but someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus has a desire to walk with him, to, to do his work, to love on other people mm-hmm. and if that desire is not there and your only concern is getting in then that's a very good personal test right. of you're probably not saved and you don't know him you know jesus says later on in the gospels you know all the, that all these people will come to him in the last days or you know after uh, the books have been opened and the role has been called and say lord lord we testified in your name we cast out demons in your name we healed in your name why can't we come in and jesus says depart from me. I never knew you. So you can go to church every day. You can think you're getting in, but if there is no personal relationship there, if there's no desire deep down on the inner part of us to grow closer to him and to walk in obedience, then that's a good sign we're not Mm -hmm. saved. And we can change that with one, with one prayer to the Father. One conversation. So if that's you, you don't have to tell Mm -hmm. anybody, just own it. Tell him you love him and ask him to forgive you and let's 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 get in the boat and row. So that to me was awesome when he mm-hmm. said again. again. I just love that. Mm-hmm. Because if that were me and you, it would have said uh, I'm done. The, well, yeah, the book would have ended, right? <laughs> Here's the towel. <laughs> so it says Jesus went again into a synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse him of something, people watched him carefully to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I notice, and it's probably different in translation, when it says in verse 2, looking for a reason to accuse him of mm-hmm. something, people watched him carefully. And if you look in the previous chapter, who was watching him? It was the, the Pharisees. Pharisees. But now it says people. Now that could be a nuance in language, but I see that as all of a sudden the leadership has set a tone in the synagogue and the leadership is trying to catch Jesus, and the leadership is being very legalistic about the Sabbath, and the le- and the leadership is is being judgmental. And all of a sudden, here here's the the flock following in suit. Now all of a sudden, they're kind of looking at Jesus and trying to see, oh, you know what I'm saying? Do you understand where I'm going with yes, this, Lisa? I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's the power of those who that are putting mob mentality. Yes, mm-hmm. mob mentality. 
Mm-hmm. And you see that later on uh, when Jesus is condemned as well. Well, we know the Pharisees were watching him to, to accuse him. But anytime somebody's about to get in trouble, quote unquote trouble there, mm-hmm. um, the crowd's watching. Yeah, you well, know? There's some, some movie where like this animal goes, ooh, mm-hmm. and like covers his <laughs> mouth. You know, I could just see that in my mind. Yeah. Um, that's what the people are doing. But, you know, you hear people say, and I, and I say this about myself, you think back to the person that you were in high school. And I think back to the person that I was in high school, and I was um, arrogant and thought I knew it all. Um, certainly not mindful of the things of God. Thought I was invincible. All of those traits you hear about. But I, I don't think I was a bad person. I think I was generally you know, nice to everyone. But the one thing that I would say about myself, if I could go back and do it over again, I don't think I stood up for people like I should have, you know, like if I saw somebody getting picked on or somebody getting left out Mm -hmm. or somebody sitting by themselves, you know, as a Christian person now and wanting to show the love of Jesus, I want to try and minister to those people in any way I can. And if I could go back and do whatever, that's what Mm -hmm. I would change. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure these people that it's talking about in this verse would say the same thing. They might not have been on the bandwagon of, hey, Jesus is horrible and I want, I think we should get rid of him. But certainly, looking back, they would say, "I should have, I should have taken up for him." Mm-hmm. You know, your your um, your indecision or your neutral your neutral position in a situation like this is actually on the opposing team. There is no neutral position as it stands to Jesus. Yeah, I you tell know? my students that a lot. You know that that when we talk about some of their goals, what they want to do, and there's so many different types of students in a high school. You know, when I talk about that, I say that's my biggest regret mm-hmm. is not going out of my way to be nicer to people. Mm-hmm. It's not that I was actively mean, but I wish I would have done more to show the love of Jesus. But what stands out to me about that that scripture is that, that they were watching to accuse him. And these are supposedly the religious people mm-hmm. that are watching him to accuse him. And... It's very similar today. You know, we we have the opportunity to be a part of a youth Bible study every now and then, and I was telling them this and getting ready back to go back to school soon. You know, high school is one of the hardest places to be a Christian in America. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it is because everybody's watching you, mm-hmm. just waiting on you to do something wrong, mm-hmm. you know. But the difference is Jesus didn't do anything wrong, you know. we We do mess up, but it's... It, it is held against us quite quite a bit because we have said we're walking mm-hmm. with Jesus. And, you know, when you said that Jesus didn't do anything wrong, that really made this thought pop in my head. And this has probably been said several times on the podcast and will be a repeated theme. But Jesus has never done anything wrong by the ultimate standard, which is the, the standard of holiness, God's His standard. standard. <laughs> His standard. Mm-hmm. But Jesus constantly offended people in scripture he offended the people that thought they knew it all and he, he constantly violated their standard mm-hmm. and the standards and that still happens to this day you know you cannot put jesus in a box he will shatter that box mm-hmm. you know now obviously there are boundaries that god creates on himself in scripture and god will never deny himself or deny uh, the standard that he set forth in scripture but jesus constantly did things the opposite and upside down way of, of what people expected. Mm-hmm. 
and thank God that he did. Mm-hmm. But um, he never did anything wrong by by his standards, the standard of holiness. Mm-hmm. But he did everything wrong by the standards of the religious at that time. That's you right. know, and it he reserves that right to offend yeah, you and he, I. I think um, he's constantly causing us to rethink. You know, mm-hmm. what we think we know. <laughs> Absolutely. We need to bring Derek in on his quote there. Um, you know, something else that just going back one, which you could bring this in on, on any of these verses of Scripture, um, but this is a good time. You know, in verse 1, it talks about at the end, it says it different ways in different um, translations, but it says a man with a shriveled hand was there. So I don't know. What does your say instead of shriveled? Does it say withered? Withered. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we used to have a, a friend of ours that that had this this issue. So I have a visual in my mind. Um, but God really revealed to me just a quick little revelation on this. You think about, okay, we have two hands, right? We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Hands are a symbol of God's work and His movement. Um, and his provision and his power, um, the hand of God, you know. But if you look, this man has one good hand and he has one shriveled hand. And God really just kind of showed to me in that that's a representation of the difference between legalism and a relationship. Hmm. They're both hands. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the the shriveled hand in this story i see in that that is these people that are trying to accuse him that is the pharisees um that shriveled hand is used to be useful and it used to be pure undefiled religion mm-hmm. uh but through legalism through uh you know, selfishness and arrogance and pride and a seeking of power, their religion had become corrupted, shriveled, and, and, and really useless. Mm-hmm. And so there's a good hand, and then there's the shriveled <laughs> hand. They're both hands. And that's kind of what I saw in that. I think that's a really good picture, and Jesus is about to really challenge them on that and help them to see the hand for what it is, shriveled and withered. Mm. Um, so i got to ask you a question. Okay. It's very controversial. uh uh-uh. <laughs> Do you think that the American church now is this shriveled hand? <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's certainly elements of the American mm-hmm. church that are a shriveled hand. But, you know, the shriveled hand... Is it still useful? Well, I, I mean, if you were to look at just the the physics of a shriveled hand, you could still use it to pin stuff up against... You could. It's useful, but it's handicapped. Mm. And... Um, any church in any town in any part of the world stands close to the line of becoming handicapped at any time because legalism is constantly there as a tool of the devil to render us useless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's he not can't so much legalism. It is to a degree, but I think what, what we see taking place today is just traditions. Yeah. Traditions that people want to hold on to, and it's sentimental, and, and it and it may be, I'm not saying anything's wrong with some traditions. I, I love, I mean, I love traditions when it comes down to like Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I understand it. But when we're looking at the whole, it it is, 
seems like less and less people want to go into the doors, but maybe that's just the state of our our world right now, not just America. Maybe it's just because Jesus is coming back soon. <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't know. But you know, and we've talked about this before, the, the metric is not that. You know, we can't measure the effectiveness of the church based on attendance or even right. people's desire exactly. to go. I think the minute you start measuring it that way, you're already headed down the wrong path anyway. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you, I know you agree with that. But we don't have a lot of ways we can measure it, but that is certainly not the way. I mean, it's probably easier for me to talk about this issue because I'm not a hired pastor that my livelihood depends on this. But I think the the scriptures support this fact, and, and it just is true. I'm, that should be of no concern to me. It's not. I'm not concerned about if one person comes or a hundred people come, I mean, I care, and I know that there'll be there will be seed that is sown if they do come. So I have a desire for people to be there, but that's not a measurement of success or failure. What I should be measuring myself as as a Christian or a pastor or a leader of some ministry is not who who attends or who listens or whatever, but am I doing what God told me to do? And all He ever told me to do was to love Him and love people and to tell them. Mm-hmm. the gospel. And we've gotten away from that in some instances because we think it's on us to post these big numbers of salvation or to post these big attendance numbers or these big financial contributions numbers. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all what it's about. Um, that's when man, you know, co- co- you know, corrupts it and, and, co- and, and hijacks it. Well, we try to we try to think that we can do it, you know, and who was it that preached that sermon one time about multiplication versus addition? Yeah, but that was a book that was based on the argument from David Platt, though. Uh, yeah, it was, and so we worry about Brock adding to, to it. Yes, he did a trick with it and everything. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but we worry about adding to our numbers and that it, it comes from a good place. We want more and more souls saved, but if we'll just focus on what God has put in front of us, mm-hmm. then suddenly, you know, he's put this one person in front of us. And then that one person is going to have two people. And then it starts a whole multiplication and I'm not good at math, but mm-hmm. when he did it, it was like exponentially growing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of us just worrying about adding one here and there, it was just focus on one. That one will go forward and then those two will mm-hmm. go forward, and then it's just multiplying. Yeah, and and that I completely agree. That was super powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's that verse where Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to remember what else Jesus said. He said, um, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are found yeah. thereon. But narrow is the way, straight is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few are found thereon. And most people are not going to come. Most people are going to reject it. Most people are not going to want to grace the doors of a church, no matter whether it's, you know, Holy Ghost-filled, gospel-centered preaching, or uh, you have the greatest worship band on the face of the earth. At the end of the day, most people mm-hmm. don't want Jesus. So that Jesus. begs the question, why do we even try? Well, at a minimum, we try out of obedience to the well, Word of God. We don't know who is going to come and who isn't. So, right. yes, we may. What what it should spark us to do is is not to be as offended, you yeah. know, and 
and just continue going on because we don't know when that next person is kind of like when I was in Uganda and I talked with some people and I just wanted them to get it so bad, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't up to me. It was just up to me to tell them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't up to me to save them. Absolutely. And I'm so glad it's that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's not up to us to get attendance, to get money, none of that. And that is, I think, in many ways, how we have allowed ourselves to become handicapped um, with the Western mindset of church. Mm-hmm. And as long as we can fight that tendency and let God provide in whatever way He wants to, let God bring uh, the sinners into the building or into the home or into the ministry, let God bring salvation, let God bring mm-hmm. provision, let God bring rent money. Let God bring a building because let's face it, church doesn't have to be in a building that's been purchased. Many churches are struggling today in America in 2019 because they have a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, and God didn't necessarily tell us to go and get a mortgage. Uh, we just many times get a mortgage for a building, for a church, because that's how we were brought up and that's how we were raised. But God doesn't need uh, you to anchor yourself to a building all the time necessarily for Him to do His work. Some of the greatest work has been done in one-on-one meetings and friendships at jobs and even uh, in homes, which is what they did in the, in the New Testament and Acts. Now, people will say, well, that's because they didn't have all this, you know, all these believers and all this fun. I, I personally think that we have gotten far away from the book of Acts, and one of the reasons is because we feel propelled into this sense of having a building. Mm. Um, Now, if God says get a building, then you do what God says. Mm -hmm. But to think that that's the pattern, that's not not the biblical pattern anyway, Um, not in the New Testament. So if if you haven't been offended yet, I guess just hang on. We'll probably (laughs) probably offend you before it's over with. But uh, I'm just to the point where I just want to try and, um, you know, honor God through honoring his word and his and his patterns, he set mm-hmm. forth as much as possible. And I don't really care what man thinks about it. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's what the word says. So, um, we've talked about the withered hand being example of you know a healthy relationship and a withered religion. That would be mm-hmm. the two hands. Um, then he goes on and says, he says he said to the man with a shriveled hand. Mine says, with an exclamation point, come up here where we can see you. <laughs> Jesus said that. So, I mean, I think Wait. even... Huh? Jesus said that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, Mine says, get up and come forward. Yeah, get up and come forward. Okay. So it's it's would probably be some Greek scholar would say it's like a something, something emphatic, you know, like... It, and then one version just simply says, come here. Come here. <laughs> Doesn't quite do the same. <laughs> I mean, but it's it still has that element of strength to the language, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and you and you think about you think about everybody's watching. I think even you and I, as just you know, common mortal men sitting in that room, would have been like, you know, everybody could tell they're watching Jesus. Like it, Jesus didn't know that they were trying to catch him because he was divine. I mean, it's obvious. Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's waiting on him to mess up. He's got their essentially their undivided attention. Everybody's waiting to see who what's Jesus going to do offensive now. And Jesus goes ahead and just lets them have it right there by that mm-hmm. statement. Get up and come here in front of everyone. Come to the front so everybody can see. 
I'm going to give them what they want, mm-hmm. kind of. And so everybody, you know, and there again, there's that person going, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's playing out. If they mm-hmm. wanted drama, if they wanted entertainment, it's about to go down. And then he looks to the Pharisees after he calls the man up with the withered hand and says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Mm. And so he's just, I mean, he just spells it out. He, like, he is. That's kind my, of a rhetorical question. Like, come on, guys. You yeah, know? right. Mine says he starts with a question before that. He says, what is permitted on Sabbath? Mm. Then he says, doing good or doing evil? Saving life or killing. So all throughout the Gospels, Jesus brings into the light what they're asking Mm -hmm. in the darkness of their mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he he goes ahead and clears the air. I know everybody's thinking this, so let's just get it out there. I got homeboy at the front. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's wondering what is permitted on Sabbath. And we, again, we talked about that in detail uh, two episodes ago. So, yes. this is a recurring thing. So, he's, he's basically spilling it out again. Like, it, I came to, he, we know now that he came to fulfill the law, and that was the c- central part of it, and the Sabbath is a huge part of it. And he's trying to illuminate how important it is that if you love your neighbor, you are also fulfilling the law. You love mm-hmm. God, you love your neighbor as yourself, then you're actually obeying the law. Jesus said that later in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. The entire law is summed up in these mm-hmm. two commandments. So love God um, with your whole and, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it would be very unloving if you had the power to heal somebody and did not. Exactly. <laughs> Which you would think they would get. Yeah. But this is where the title of this episode comes from. He says, what is permitted on Sabbath? So he asked the question that everybody in their mind's thinking. Now, the Pharisees in this situation, when they hear that question, they're thinking, I know what's permitted on Sabbath. But there's, there's some people in the crowd that are in the middle ground. And they're in the middle ground, and they're wondering, what is permitted on the Sabbath? You know, they're trying to figure this out. So Jesus says, doing good or doing evil? Saving life or killing? If you look at the logo, if you look at the logo for this week, you'll see that it's computer code. It's what's called binary code. Binary meaning two. Bi two. Okay, got it. (laughs) So binary code is how all computers, is how all digital devices communicate. It communicates in on-off signals, pulses of on or off. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole confusing thing. I don't really understand. Zero or one. So zero means off, one means on. So on or off, and that's how all computers communicate. It can only understand a yes or no. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if you get more complex and you combine tons of yes or no's, it can can communicate in more than just yes or no questions and answers. But the basics of the foundation is yes or no. Mm. And so Jesus is giving a similar thing here that all decisions, all thoughts, all words, all actions, all inactions, all desires, all um, happenings in our life are one thing or the other. They all break down on the lines of goodness, holiness, which lead to life, or badness, which leads to death. Mm -hmm. That's the kingdom code. Yes, and so that's confusing, but if you look at other verses of Scripture where it says, 
um, basically all sin leads to death. Well, somebody would say, that's not true. I, you know, I lied to my mom. I didn't die. Well, that, you're buying the same lie that Eve mm. bought in the garden, which mm-hmm. is that, well, you know, Satan told her, surely you'll not die. And she ate the fruit and she didn't die. But she did die spiritually. So this is confusing and this is deep and this is hard to accept. But the truth is, is that there are no neutral actions. When we, when we tell ourselves that we're neutral uh, in a situation or we're neutral um, on an argument or we're, we don't stand up for the gospel and we say, well, God will work that out or whatever it is, this is deep and it's hard mm-hmm. to accept, but all things break down along these lines. We're either doing something that God has called us to do and put in front of our path and urged us to do, which is going to be uh, giving life, which is going to be um, doing good, or we can choose to do nothing or to openly rebel, which are bad and lead to death. So mm-hmm. it's deep. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to understand. And, you know, Lisa, you and I were talking about this, and you made the um, example, what if I'm walking down the street and I pass somebody and I don't speak to them? I didn't do anything. So is that is that a bad thing and it's leading to death? Well, not necessarily. If God said, if you get the feeling that God's like, hey, I want you to talk to this person, and you don't, then yes, that's a bad thing that if God, it could be that if that was their one opportunity that God was going to bring across their path, you know, and and maybe something happens to them before they get another chance or something like that. I mean, God is sovereign over all that. I don't claim to understand how all the pieces fit together. But all I know is, is that everything breaks down into the category of giving life and blessing and doing the will of God or not. And sometimes neutral is what God has told us to do. And in that situation, neutral is not actually neutral. It's actually taking an action. So it's so confusing. sometimes you can do nothing and it's still an action. Exactly. And the, what, the point I'm trying to make is, is that many times we kid ourselves and we say that we're neutral, but if God told us to do something or told us not to do something and we don't do that, mm-hmm. then we're doing something bad that ultimately leads to death. Now, it doesn't lead to... You know, the term I death. think the, the, the words good and bad, you know, is kind of misleading here because it, it's not bad not to do nothing, but it's it's being disobedient if God told you to do something which is bad. The disobedience is what's bad, you know. Yes, and, and even the term death in the Bible is not always meaning an absolute no oxygen type death that we see in our right. mind. Like, you can live in a life full of death and be alive. Mm -hmm. Um, Death just means evil and separation from God. And and that gone unchecked when the heartbeat is no more will lead to eternal death. Mm -hmm. So the term death just means really the absence of God, really, because God is the one who created life, sustains life, and breathes life. In God's absence... There is death. Right. So, in, in a person's life where God is absent, there is no there is no life there because God has not regenerated that life. So, it all breaks down on those two things, and people may disagree with that, and that's fine. But that's how I see Scripture, and Jesus uh, confirms that later on in, in uh, the Gospels when he says, "You're either for me or against me." There's no neutral action when it comes to Jesus. Um, 
So if you've got questions or comments, please email us. <laughs> I had a lot of questions. <laughs> questions at 2R1.org. Um, so he goes on and says... And that's what he's saying to, this, to the Pharisees here. Is it good or to do it on the Sabbath? Is it lawful or is it okay to do evil, save a life, or kill? When you're asking yourself what's okay to do on the Sabbath, that's your filter. Mm-hmm. Is this you know, leading someone to Jesus? Is this loving on someone like Jesus would want me to love on them? Is this doing what God's asked me to do or not? Mm-hmm. It either is or it isn't. Mm-hmm. And that's your, that's your formula for deciding. Mm-hmm. So they say, he says, but they said nothing. I looked up that term nothing, and when it says they said nothing, in the, in the Greek here, it in, or in in the, it's either Hebrew or Greek. I have to go back and look. But I looked up in a concordance what that mm-hmm. word is in the New Testament. I think it's Greek, and it actually gives the picture of they really couldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. It 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 was half a choice not to say anything, and half another one like, oh man, his power and his holiness has almost shut my mouth. Like I can't. They could not say anything back. Either they he was he had defeated their arguments and they couldn't respond or they just felt like they needed to shut up you know that they couldn't say anything back it's not so much that they were like oh we're just not going to say anything no it was yeah jesus's power almost shut their mouth in a way and the truth of his word the truth of his word there was absolutely no rebuttal right it just silenced them and they they couldn't speak um then next verse says then looking them over and feeling both anger with them and sympathy for them at the stoniness of their hearts. He said to them, he said to the man, hold out your hand. As he held it out, it became restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began plotting with some members of Herod's party how to do away with him. Mm. So, so your version says that, that he looked at them with anger and sympathy. And sympathy, talking about the Pharisees. Mm. Mine just says anger. Oh, okay. It does say grieved. Okay, grieved at the heart. That that again, we don't have time to to really delve into mm-hmm. that issue. But how Jesus can feel both of those yeah. at the same time is is, I think that is the. Well, anybody who's a parent can understand that. Mm-hmm. You can be angry about what your child has done, or even their attitude towards something, but you you're angry because you want them to get it. You mm-hmm. want them to see why they don't need to do something or they do need to do something or the part of their attitude that they may be missing. You know, you're Mm -hmm. angry for probably more than just that reason, but the biggest reason you're angry with them is because you, you want more for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you're right, Elisa. I think when the parent perspective really helps us understand that I completely agree. Um, And, you know, it's worth saying here that it is possible to be angry and sin not. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, the Bible says that. Be yeah. angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, Jesus is not always this meek and mild, come sit on my lap, let me read you a story type God. I mean, he turned over the tables, and justly so, because he said, you've made my father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible to be angry and sin not. And how he was able to feel both those, I, I don't fully understand that. But he did. Um, and as the guy held his hand out, it was restored. And I just, I'm trying to see that happen in my mind. It's a beautiful picture. I mean, that's how you, 
Um, uh, to me, when he held his hand out, that's the same way we do this today when we're, we hold our hearts out. Mm-hmm. And it, it's presented when someone's receiving salvation for the first time a lot, when we are giving our hearts to Jesus. But we really have to do this every day. Mm-hmm. You know, every day you wake up and, you know, our hearts will fail us. So we have to give them over to the Lord every day, mm-hmm. whether it be, I mean, just any circumstance. And what do you think would have happened if the guy didn't move his hand? Mm. If he just would have stood there and didn't hold it out? It would it would probably be fully useless. I mean, there's a... It there would is continue a, to wither more. At some point, God will call us out, mm-hmm. just like he did this man. And he will say, Taylor, if you want to be made whole, I need you to put your hand out. And mm-hmm. the hand may be an awful, embarrassing thing in my mm-hmm. past. It may be admitting I've been prideful. and Whatever it is, it took humility for this guy to get up and go in front of all these people that were probably making fun of him in their mind. Mm -hmm. He gets up, goes in front of them. It took guts. It took grit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he... At the end of the day, he it was up to him whether he was going to put his hand out or not. Mm-hmm. And many people miss heaven by that one decision to mm-hmm. hold their hand down by their so side. So what is your withered hand What's that you're your holding hand? back? Because God is not going to force you to let him touch you. He didn't grab his hand like I do my Mm-mm. kids sometimes. Mm-mm. He said, you got to hold it out. Do you want me? Mm-hmm. And what are you willing to are you willing to suffer humility and exile mm-hmm. to have me? And that's essentially what he was asking this guy, because you can bet if they wanted to kill Jesus, this guy went up there and let Jesus do his thing. Mm-hmm. He probably wasn't, he didn't get the, seat, the high seat in the temple the yeah. next time he went, or the high seat in the synagogue. So he puts his hand out. It's immediately restored. Um, then it says, then the Pharisees went out and immediately began plotting with some members of Herod's party how to do away with him. Again, like we said at the beginning, this is the moment where, Jesus is, they drew the wanted poster. They put it up all over town. And I wanted to say right here, real quick, when it says Herod's party, that were that was a political thing that these people wanted. They, they backed King Herod at the time, who was just an awful, mm-hmm. terrible person. And the Pharisees normally would have had nothing no, to do with him. They, they had a lot of differences and religiously and other. politically. The, the, the Pharisees would have thought the people supporting Herod were unclean mm-hmm. at a minimum. Uh, but uh, They had the same enemy. Yes, common enemy, Jesus. which is Psychology 101. Yeah. The quickest way to form a bond is to have a common enemy, yeah. and that's exactly what they did. So that's it for today. Thank you guys for joining us. We're not going to have a guest this week. Um, but hopefully next week we get, we've got something in mind, so hopefully we can get a guest for next week. But uh, if you have any questions, please email us, questions at 201.org. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and I'm okay if you're upset in one event. That's fine, too. But anyway, uh, pray for us. You know, uh, we're just trying to be mouthpieces and vessels of honor for God, and we certainly don't know it all. But we love you, and thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week.